Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I'm sitting here in studio with the ginger bow hunter himself. How you doing over there, ginger bow hunter? Fire it up, son. Listen. Right. It's almost time to be ginger bow hunting again, I, I son. Know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, you know, we've got to get real ginger up in here, dude. Yeah. You know, get the arrow. Dude, we're ready to rock and roll, man. When was the so, last time you shot your bow? 
Uh, been a second. Been a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been a second. At least you're being honest. Been a second. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And by the way, speak about bows. I got it. So I got a new bow. Uh, old Mark mm-hmm. Smith from Mark's Outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the awesome bow techs over there. Him and Robbie. He hooked me up with a freaking sweet bow. So by the way, I've got my old Matthews. Uh, my my Halon Six. So if anybody wants it, anybody wants to buy, I get you a good deal on. Will, it. will you sign it for him and everything? Maybe I don't know. It depends <laughs> what the, if, as we would call, what's the deliverables? What do you need? <laughs> <laughs> what are your deliverables? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So so yeah, you're getting rid of that. What what you what are you shooting now? Oh, what are we? Oh, it's a um uh. Gosh, you would put me on the spot. It's a uh, a Hoyt uh Venom, or Ventum uh thirty three. So it's the uh, last year's flagship model uh, for their aluminum aluminum bow, and dude, it's freaking sweet, man. So super excited about that. Uh, but yeah, seasons come upon us quickly. We got a lot of guys uh, probably listening. Oh, well, by this point, this by the time this outro comes out, uh, some of our listeners are going to be up in Kentucky, probably hunting. So maybe out in Nebraska. Mm, you know, some mm-hmm. of these states are coming up. You know, really, really soon. Also, Georgia's right around. You know, going to be this time frame when this is going to be coming mm-hmm. out. So North, Ca- the season. North Carolina too. So there's about to be a lot of listeners. Uh, out there in the woods hunting but you know some of our stuff doesn't necessarily start happening at least what we're gonna be doing hunting wise i'll be in montana here uh it should be next week it'll be the week after this comes out yep so third be, week yeah be in montana with uh our buddy nick adair and uh our good friend harold from the gdiy podcast we're actually going to be going out to montana uh with the bird dogs so it's gonna be a really really fun trip there that i'm super excited about uh but yeah whitetails will really kick off here in very soon you know about a month for us yeah so. whitetails we'll start we'll do our first whitetail hunt in early october out of state, but here in Bama, we don't start till October 15th. Well, October, for the most part. Well, you see, you can't say that. It's technically, there's certain areas that open October 1st, but yeah. Well, I don't know. Is it October 15th this year? Because no. sometimes they open it a little bit earlier. I, I looked. So it's October, October 15th? No, no. October 1st, you get like yeah. the whole Bankhead area that opens up. Yeah. Um, and then and a couple other areas across the state. Yeah. And, and then it comes to uh, October 15th for 95% of the other state or other part of the state. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yep. It's about to be underway, but uh, we got to kind of get, you know, segue it over here just a little bit to talk about this episode. So, this is a part one of part, I guess, four part uh, series that we did with uh, Shane Parker. And Paul Putera, uh, with this study that Shane has done uh, over the last uh, two to three years, a uh, trail camera study that he's been doing both on some public and private land, uh, running 170 trail cameras. And you heard a little bit about this back in May when we had him on the first time, mm-hmm. and it was a two-part episode, him and Paul as well, talking a little bit about this. Well, Shane, you know, had got the time and money to kind of put together and actually get, was it, it's like a data uh, analyst or scientist or something, be able to kind of put together and actually build out, write some code to be able to kind of, you know, separate a lot of these data points from all these trail make cameras. Make sense of the data. Absolutely. Yep. 75,000 images that he had to make sense of. And literally, that was one reason why back in May, we're like, hey, guys, if you want to hear, you know, a part three to this and discuss more, you know, let us know. And one reason it's taken us a little while for it to finally come out is because, you know, they had a lot of sit down and kind of reviewing a ton of data in order to put all this stuff together in some of these, um, you know, charts and something that we've really kind of discussed on this episode. So this is part mm-hmm. one of four, because I believe there's nine charts that we break down yes. in this series mm-hmm. of data charts of what Shane has looked at and seen. And it's fascinating. Oh, yeah. Really fascinating. Oh, yeah. Especially the, the, fourth, uh, the fourth one is really good. You know, re-listening to it after editing, man, that fourth one, there's some there's some stuff in it. And especially Michael really goes off in the fourth one on all kinds of stuff. But Michael, know. the first one, God bless us. Listen, Michael, he, it, I mean, out of left field. Like, I think we're like 10, 15, 20 minutes into it. And like the first time Michael, P- or Michael Pike talks, 
uh, in the episode after like doing his little introduction was, was like way in depth. He's like, well, at that time of year, the, the moon is well, 230 yeah, yeah, whatever, miles away. Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was like, holy crap, like, where are we getting at with this? And then like, it, it was interesting. It's just, that is like so Michael Pike, man. <laughs> it's like, we're getting in the weeds. Getting quick. in the weeds. Yeah, I'm excited about this series. I think it's coming out at a really good time. Um, a lot of this stuff I feel like is going to be very relevant for people who are starting, you know, this, this very first week here in September, uh, like you said, we got some openers and the things that we talked about in this first episode this past Monday, I feel like are very relevant and the things that we continue to talk about, it's going to get more and more relevant based on time of year over this four, uh, four part series. So, you know, everything is changing kind of week to week this time of year, the, the season's changing and that changes what the deer are doing. And so the series kind of keeps up with that, I feel like. And, uh, you know, if you have a later opener like we do in Alabama and I believe Mississippi too, um, then you're going to get the whole thing before before you even get to hit the woods. So, you know, you'll get all this information. But, you know, the guys in Kentucky and Georgia and all those other states, they get to kind of follow along with it as their season changes. Yep. And by the way, uh, you're going to want to make sure you're subscribed to this podcast, guys, and share this with a buddy, especially as we get through our, you know, this first part, the second part, third part, and fourth part of this series. Um, because there's a lot of interesting information here. There's a lot of stuff can be coming out on social media, kind of breaking some of these charts down so y'all can visually see it. So again, by the time the episode had came out on Monday, at some point of this week, when you're hearing this podcast, we should already have the social media post out, showing those first couple charts and kind of give you guys some feedback on, you know, what this may mean for you based off where you're at. Because again, this was a regional study that was done in Alabama, and it's interesting. But after talking to some other individuals uh, and some other future episodes we're going to be talking about, uh, there's actually some similarities between what Shane has seen and what others have seen in other parts of the country that's not in the southeast, which is really kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was glad we had uh, Paul on, get mm-hmm. that other perspective yeah. outside of this. Up there in up there in Jersey, and he's like, man, he's like, I'm not gonna lie, like some of this is, you know, very similar. One thing, which when we get to that conversation, which I can't remember which part it is, but when we start talking temperature, uh, it's, it's part one. It is part one. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we've been to dig into that. Yeah. So when we talked about temperature, Paul, you know, mentioned like where he's at with those deer. It's like a sliding scale compared to like where we're at. Like, mm-hmm. I can't remember what the actual data point is, and we'll have to grab that chart so we can see it. But the um, that that whole aspect, he's like, you know, I see something similar up here. It's just like at that whole sliding scale of like temperature shifted down another 10 degrees. Yep. That's like what we're seeing up here. Yeah. So uh, temperature, we'll just go ahead and start with this because I find it the most interesting. Um, this is one of my favorite parts of this whole study that we did because we've talked a lot on the show about down here, it seems like when we get really hard, cold days down in the 20s or the teens, that it kind of shuts up movement a little bit. Shuts up, shuts down. Shuts down, shuts up, whatever. So it, it kind of stunts movement. and then But you'll get a good midday movement on those kinds of days. Like that frost starts burning off. Me and you were talking about it. Like you're sitting watching a cutover and uh, the sun catches it just right. And this, the frost is burning off and it's steaming. And you, you said something like, I, that's when I get up and, you know, kind of, you know, get loose. I'm like, yeah, it's about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, where's the antlers at? Boys? Oh yeah. I'm like, I'm like polishing my scope or something. I'm like, here we go. <laughs> Dude, no, no joke. Absolutely. But, so the, the, the data really seemed like it kind of bore that out. Um, what Paul found or what Shane found in his data was basically that uh, your kind of 45 to 50 degree temperature range is pretty much ideal for this area. Um, 
Let's see. We got all the charts right here with us again. Yeah, yeah give, get us, um, get us got, the right charts that we. Man, so we got all kinds of weird stuff. Dew point. Okay, here we go. So yeah, basically your uh, forty to fifty-five degree range is that's going to be like the top of your bell curve. That's going to be like when the most movement is happening per his data. Hold on, hold on. What what was the date data you said again? Forty-one to forty-five. You said forty-five to fifty. Man. Well, okay, so yeah, now that I'm looking it's, at it. And you can't read. It's 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 forty <laughs> You're forty one to fifty five. I'm po- possibly. No, it's all good. I'm I'm pretty blind anyways. <laughs> um but uh so uh what did he say? This is also the mean temperature, so not necessarily the high. And you know, later when yeah, we it's ha- the average for the day. Average for the day. So that means that your your actual temperature range here in Alabama, that's gonna basically end up being when the sun comes up, it's going to be like kind of somewhere in the 30s, like probably mid-30s. Yep. And then by the peak temperature of the day, kind of later afternoon before the sun starts to set, it's going to be like high 50s, mm-hmm. like 57 yep. or something like that. And uh, and that's how you come up with that average of like right here is like 41 to 45 degrees or 46 to 50 degrees. Those two ranges are kind of neck and neck. They're they're ahead of all the other ones on this graph. And so that's kind of what that looks like in uh, that's. I mean, I've had tons of luck on days so, like that. So man. I've got I've got a bunch of questions here. So when people look at, look at this chart, because again, it's gonna be on social media. If you look, like it, it's interesting because when it says above seventy degrees, above seventy degrees has like much more of movement. Like I have a, I have like a scale of ten. You know, roughly a five out of ten uh, for above seventy degrees compared to when it's twenty six to thirty degrees. It is literally at a three out of ten when it comes to movement. Yeah. And then less than twenty five degrees, it is a one out of ten. One interesting factor there that I'd be very curious to look at is how does this relate as well with time of year? Because if it's above 70 degrees in January, does it it have the same movement factor and value as it did if it's, you know, September, October? That's a good question. Above 70 degrees. That's a good question. You know, I was, we were talking, I was talking to Josh the other day about our hunt that's coming up. And I sent him the video that Michael has from that place a couple years back. And I was like, man, this is record high day this it was like 98 degrees this day and it was like one o'clock and those two bucks were up and moving um just broad daylight middle of the day record high super hot um but i don't know this uh i I found that interesting too like almost more interesting than what's kind of in the middle of the graph where it's like yes this you know 45 whatever temperature range is kind of ideal what was really interesting is basically i mean really when you look at this it kind of says that anything above like 40 degrees is pretty good. I mean, anything where you start getting below that. As, uh, as, a, as the, the average for the day. As the average for the day. Once you start getting below that, it kind of starts throwing things off. Uh, um, a, a little bit. I mean, really, it seems like that sweet spot is, I mean, from roughly, you know, 36 degrees up to, you know, the mid 50s is a pretty sweet spot when it comes to like that overall movement. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, I'll be honest, I could have guessed. Yeah. In general, I could have guessed that, like, especially like in the 40s. I always feel like if it's like, especially the highs for the day is like upper 40s, I'm like, dude, something's something's going down. Okay. <laughs> and if you got in clean and freaking didn't make a whole bunch of noise and racket and you got a pretty solid wind or light and variable, dude, it's mm, something's it's going on. down. Yeah. 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 I really like those days. I feel like you, you get really good like thermal activity on those days too, especially if it's kind of a bluebird day. Um, I just, I don't know. I enjoy those and it feels good. I mean, you get to, you know, you finally get to put on your freaking winter clothes, like your actual, like heavier clothes. And you're like, oh yeah. Kind okay. of. Then all, all the 
guys are listening to us up the East Coast, Midwest, like, 40 degrees, winter clothes, man. That's yeah, October. Bro, that's I'm no telling one. you, that's how we do it in middle Alabama. I'm yeah. telling you. Um, but but that, again, it's, it's, it is interesting. It begins, it's like it, it, these Alabama. <laughs> that is funny. By winter clothes, I mean a hoodie <laughs> and maybe like a long sleeve shirt underneath it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it, again, like our bell curve threshold is like leans towards like the warmer temperatures versus like what Paul was saying. He's like, if you shift everything down, you know, 10 degrees roughly, that would be for us. That'd be like the sweet spot for us. Yeah. Where talk- his brutal temperatures, where our brutal temperature is like 25, his is like zero or so. Or, or like single digits. Yeah. Stuff like that. And he's like, if you just shifted it down 10 degrees on everything, that would be like that sweet spot. Um, and again, it makes sense because he talks about like even those deer up there where he's at, both in Jersey, Pennsylvania, even kind of New York, but especially Pennsylvania. From what he said, he's like, they don't like to move when it's super cold and snowy and just nasty. He's like, they don't have ag. He's not necessarily in the ag area where like, mm-hmm. oh, they have to get up and they're going to go feed, you know, corn and beans mm-hmm. um, or alfalfa, or whatever. Here, like where he's at and where we're at, that's not like a, a food resource. So their kind of instinct, it seems like, and this would be interesting to get a biologist on if they've studied this, seems like if they don't have a super high calorie dense food to go and feed on, they're just going to lay low and wait for it to pass because it's not going to last very long. Mm-hmm. And they're going to kind of use that body weight to their advantage. And then once it warms up a little bit, then they're going to get out and get a little more active while they're up and out. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, you got anything else on temperature? I mean, I, I'd say that probably about covers it. Um, yeah, I mean, just something just worth looking at. I mean, I think you could kind of take in consideration, especially like for our, some of our Deep South listeners, uh, something that's really applicable um, for you guys. And again, if you live up, you know, if you live up, you know, Kentucky or North, uh, I would say definitely, like, again, just have the sliding scale shift down 10 degrees, and it's probably going to be a sweet spot for you. And then if yep. you're in the upper Midwest, maybe shift it down like 15 degrees. Yeah. And Everything. also, you know, I will say, too, with the upper end of these temperatures, I also wouldn't be super discouraged when you have, like, warm days. It's like, man, if it's 65 degrees and it's Saturday and that's the day you have to hunt, like, go hunt. I mean, you're going to hunt, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, go hunt. If you're a weekend warrior, you're hunting no matter what. Like, yeah. listen, if it's 85, if it's like a dove opener, like this weekend, <laughs> except we got thunderstorms rolling through. Dude, I don't know. 85 for a dove opener, that's actually pretty tame compared to some we've had in the last couple of years. Yeah, so this time it's gonna be, you're shooting doves out of thunderstorms, so. Well, that sounds really pleasant, actually, compared to last year, where I fried like a egg in a pan. It was terrible. Anyways, actually, it was really fun, but it was painful. All right, so the next chart that we're going to discuss, uh, which we covered in this part one episode with Shane and Paul, is the mature bucks location by month. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, Shane had a batcher group. I'll say batcher group. It it seems like these bucks kind of always stay together at any point of the season. And he was able to keep up with them uh, based off trail camera and track their daylight movement in these areas where he kept them on camera the majority of the time for these individual months, for the 12 months out of the year. And it's kind of interesting how they kind of shift. So the, the trail camera locations of where he was finding these deer, these uh, three bucks, um, was down in a river bottom or down in a big creek bottom. That's kind of thick creek bottom, not like a real open, but again, a thick creek bottom. And then you know, a good ways up the ridge, three quarters away, half away up the ridge, these big ridges, uh, and around some big select cut pines and select cut timber. So again, a thick kind of nasty area that, you know, he suspected like does to be kind of better there and stuff like that. And then the other area was on top of one of these main ridges at a much higher elevation. Uh, and again, 
that's kind of where the generality of where all these, you know, cameras were at, that he was catching these bucks and kind of pinpointing them, you know, based off where they spent the most amount of time during daylight hours on his cameras. And he kind of, you know, built it out. And it was kind of interesting how these bucks, you know, stuck together a little bit. Then they kind of split up and, and kind of went all over. Uh, but Andrew, this is one, it's, it's kind of, when you look at it, it's a little complicated as in like how everything was built out here. Uh, but month one, if I remember correctly, that's down in the, the creek bottom at the lower mm-hmm. end of the, uh, of the scale. Uh, so if you look at, if you're looking at this chart, uh, those lower five or actually six uh, icons on the, the lower left side, that is actually, again, that creek bottom. And then just about that, the, the uh, square and triangle represent um, the, or actually that middle chart uh, or middle points uh, represents the slut cut pines. And then at the very top right-hand side of this chart, those four icons there for those months, which is August, May, April, and September, is when they were on top of those ridges. Again, kind of a little bit more open areas. Um, so it's kind of interesting if you look at it. And thankfully, Andrew, you actually wrote down on here the dates. They were down in that thick creek bottom a lot during, let's see, June, July, and pretty then, much where they spent their whole hunting season. But yeah, during the rut. It, well, during the hunting season and also the rut too, but yeah. So June and July, they were down there. Uh, and then uh, October, November, December, and January, they spent a lot of time in that thick, thick creek bottom. But one thing I think we ought to do with this is go from month to month, kind of where they were at specifically. So if you looked at month one, which would be January, they were down in the creek bottom mm-hmm. majority of the time. Month two, February, they actually went up to that slut cut pine area. Uh, again, you know, up the ridge a good ways, you know, um, a few hundred feet in elevation. And then in, and they stayed there, uh, again, majority of the time when it came to just the, uh, being on camera, they stayed there as well in March. And what I mean stay there, they weren't in that one location the whole time, but majority of the time when it came to like the majority of the times Shane had them on camera was in that location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that's what this means. Again, they're going all over the place, but a majority of the time during daylight hours, that's where he caught them on camera. Yeah, and talking about home range too, uh, this their home ranges weren't necessarily very big. That's another thing that Shane was talking about, and especially the does. He was saying that their home ranges are really, really small. Um, and what we got into a conversation with Paul about, which I thought was pretty interesting, was Paul was saying, well, up where he's at, like big giant woods, it's completely different, and their home ranges are, are way, way bigger up there. And it's like you can almost take your home range and just kind of stretch it out based on the kind of habitat. Like I think you were saying like it's going to be a lot different if they're in ag versus if they're in, you know, big woods mountain settings. By the way, big woods, I had a listener message me. Actually, I think he might text me. Uh, what do we mean by big woods? Big woods, just like a a very large unbroken tract of, uh, of I guess, hardwoods. Does it have to be I wouldn't. Hardwoods? I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider like the pine cutover stuff that we hunt. I would not consider that big woods. Yeah, I look at more old growth timber. Yeah, old growth timber, like large expanses of old growth timber. What would be some examples of that? Like Smoky Mountains National Park. Or I mean, something? yeah, wilderness areas, like like specifically, like and you get in other regions of the country, they might have larger expanses of unbroken timber like that that are a little bit older timber. Um, again, where like in the if you hear guys talk about the big woods, especially um, example of one of our buddies, Bo Martonic from East Meets West podcast, he talks about a lot in Pennsylvania where he hunts like big woods setting. Yep, like in the kind of the ro- big rolling hills, kind of mountainous stuff where it's like huge expanses of timber. There's cutovers there every now and then, but huge expanse of timber. There's not a 
bunch of, you know, fields around. There's not a bunch of, like, open areas. And, that, again, that's what they kind of classify as, like, the big woods. And then you go get the guys, like, in the upper Midwest, like Minnesota area in Wisconsin. You know, they talk about a lot there, too. And then upper, the upper uh, portion of Michigan, just huge expanses of timber uh, with, you know, some logging mix in. But, again, it's just huge expanses of especially, like, a little bit older timber. Um mm-hmm. Anyways, but getting, I want to get out and get back to this. So, Andrew, kind of go from like April, like starting April, kind of like where they went back to. Because, again, January, they're down the creek bottom. And then uh, March and February, they were in that select cut pines. And oh, then, yeah. So, this is interesting. So, the the area this is at, there's there's a mountain there. and It's a pretty sizable mountain for the state of Alabama. Enough to where the the green up doesn't happen all at once across this mountain. So your, your bottoms and the base of the mountain gets green in the springtime. And then it just kind of slowly creeps up the mountain all spring. And then the very top of the mountain, it might green up in like late April, early May or something. And, uh, me and you have actually turkey hunted this area. And, uh, we have firsthand experience with this where we were in there. I think it was in March and we were in the bottom and it was very greened out like full foliage. And the higher we went up the mountain, the less and less greenery there was until finally we got to a point where it still looked like it was January up there. And it almost seems like that's maybe what they were kind of doing here. Um, February and March, they were still pretty close to the bottom, but they were in what Shane said, like it was a cutover, select cut type thing. When February, you know, if you get, especially if you get some warm snaps in February, you'll have some greenery starting to come up in February. But also you have uh, all the woody browse they could probably eat in there. So it looks like in February they moved to that. March they hung around there. There's definitely a lot of stuff coming up in that in that kind of habitat in March where just all that green tender growth is coming up. And then it almost seems like they kind of followed it up. And then in April and May, as that green line moved up the mountain, they kind of followed it up, uh, which, you know, Again, it's not like we're hunting them in April and May, but it's just really interesting. It's kind of cool to see that stuff. Um, and then actually in June and July, they actually moved back down into the thick creek bottom. So I don't know. I kind of feel like that might be maybe a temperature thing. They're getting down to that darker creek bottom, down close to all the cooler air where it's kind of flowing down those creek bottoms. Um, that could be a factor. It's just significantly cooler down there. And... uh and what was interesting is they kind of made like a little jaunt back up to the top of the mountain in August and September. So it's like, well, why did they do that? And that's where Michael threw his curveball where he's like talking about the perigee and all this and that, um, which, you know, maybe there's something too. We were just laughing about it because it was just so unexpected. I was so not prepared for that. I was not prepared for that discussion. <laughs> he, he, said tried, that. he tried to run with it. No, uh, yeah, he said it. He was talking about all that. I'm like, I feel so dumb right now. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I have no value to add to this conversation. But it's like, well, why did they go up there in August and September? That's just kind of weird. But uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe, maybe it has something to do with like uh, rainfall or something like that. Just current weather conditions. I don't know. Um, but then again, they moved all the way down to the bottom for pretty much the entire hunting season after that. Uh, excluding February, which we only have 10 days in February, but... But see, one thing that was interesting about that, like that creek bottom, like I'm familiar with that creek bottom and stuff, and it's like, you know, it's thick down there. And like the amount of time that he's catching, like he was catching those bucks come to that creek bottom, kind of surprised me because I would think, especially for like, you know, some of the does, like, yeah, you know, maybe some of the does are bedded down low, but also like kind of bedding some of those smaller points up above those creeks. Mm -hmm. I would personally have thought there'd be more movement 
towards like the those bigger secondary ridge points and everything and get higher up above the creek itself uh other than like at nighttime movement but again this is you know based off where he was catching them you know on camera so well i mean it could be uh they're staying kind of low and catching fallen thermals at night i don't know i mean that that's where my mind pretty much immediately goes is yeah, if those does are on those secondary ridge points, then are the bucks going to kind of so they're not doing anything cruise beneath but them? But I see, like during the day, I feel like they'd be up. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Know. Like I'm like I would get it, especially with like. Well, I, is this daytime? I can't remember. Maybe we should call Shane before we do this episode. Yeah, we should have. Uh, I don't know. Maybe our listeners who just listen to that one. I'll They'll, text them real quick while we're talking about this. So that I mean, uh, mature bucks location by month. Um, I don't know if it's at nighttime. I could see that being the case but yeah in daytime i would think that they would want to be bedded kind of above everything else so i don't know maybe that doesn't necessarily mean they're like all the way down in the creek bottom either i don't know um definitely a interesting subject but you could also kind of almost measure this based on what you have in your area because really when when you get right down to it it's just availability of resources for the deer and in shane's case they really have a lot of stuff that they need just in a very small uh, section of woods. You know, they're, it's not like where Paul hunts where they have to walk a couple miles between, you know, this spot and that spot to get things they need. Uh, especially after being in this area, they really have pretty much everything they need in a very small area. I mean, like a square mile, maybe that just by browse water, decent bedding cover. I mean, they kind of have it all right there. So if you were going to, you know, apply that in your own area, you just kind of have to look at what you have in your area and, and make an estimate of like, okay, if I were a deer and I needed cover and I needed food and I needed water, how far would I have to travel or what? Like where, where would I bed first of all? And then how far from my bed would I have to walk to go get these other things I need? And that's kind of how you can measure that. And, you know, again, it varies vastly depending on what kind of area you're in. And we talk about ag land, like, well, they have everything they need, but when the crops come out, they might have to cover a huge amount of space. You know, when we were driving through, uh, what was it, uh, Indiana, and we were looking at all those woodlots, like, way out in the distance, and we're like, dude, there's, like, nowhere for a deer to live here except that woodlot way over there. And uh, if there's not enough stuff in that woodlot for them to eat, they're going to have to cover quite a big distance. Uh, Like the guys that we were talking to from the breaking point, they were talking about deer, like, running from, like, miles miles to get to one field where they were eating, you know, yeah. and he said it, they were saying it was kind of hilarious to watch them because you'd see them way out on the horizon and be like, no way they make it all the way over here. 20, and they're just, here tw- they come. 25 dude. minutes they sh- later, they 25 show 25 minutes, up. they're 25 yards away from you. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. pretty funny stuff. So anyways, um, again, just from a practical hunting standpoint, uh, there's probably some subliminal way this could help you out. Uh, it's not like, you know, this is going to, is going to like outwardly change your tactics or anything, but no, it's still it, just interesting it, to see. No, to, to me, it doesn't change anything tactic wise or anything, but uh, I think it's just an interesting aspect of what those individual bucks were doing. Well, it also kind of displays if you're trying to keep up with deer on camera, you know, maybe gives you kind of a different perspective on that, uh, of, as far as like how they shift, you know, if they like my mind kind of goes to Rusty and Rustin where they hunt. And I wonder if they see something kind of similar where they'll they'll bounce from the bottoms to the tops of the mountains a little bit. Um, that'd be I'd be curious to ask them just because they're such huge trail camera guys, and we recently had them on. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if they run. I know Rustin was talking about he's not really running cameras down low unless that's like kind of access or like he's going all in on a spot after he gets an image of a buck. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that would be interesting if they notice anything about, you know, that positioning of where those bucks are traveling, you know, or spending time based off the different times of the year. Uh, but again, the interesting fact for me, I thought they'd spend more time a little bit higher up during those, you know, those fall periods. So that definitely kind of threw me off a little bit. Um, but it's it's interesting. Again, Texas Shane, we'll see if I get, we get an answer back while we're still doing the episode. But uh, it, it is pretty interesting to say the least. Um, but again, it kind of comes down to you know the interesting thing about like this this uh, part one episode is like this is just like getting barely into this conversation. There's uh, seven more charts that we go through of different uh, data points uh, with Shane over the next three parts of this series. And guys, again, you're gonna really want to key in on some of this because there's gonna be some really applicable. Um, um, details that comes out a little bit later, especially like even on next week's episode, that you're not going to want to miss when it comes to real world applications of some of this uh, some of this data points of how it could actually physically and not fit, well how it could physically help you, you know, come this season because there are certain things that we learned from this study uh, based off the data that I am 100% going to be applying this year, mm-hmm. like without that, actually oh, yeah. coming up really soon. So, <laughs> very, very soon. So by the, fourth, by the fourth episode comes out, we are going to be implementing some of this stuff, <laughs> yeah. especially from, uh, you know, episode or uh, part two, part three, and part four. Yep. So, again, you're not going to want to miss that. Um, but, dude, what you got, Andrew? Uh, that's, that's pretty much all I got on this one. Uh, I think y'all are really going to enjoy the series, kind of like Jacob said earlier. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're looking for those episodes on Monday. Make sure you share it with a buddy. We really appreciate it. It's a big help to us. Yep. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K-Chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at TrueLockChokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Dude, I was going to talk about uh, 
Idaho a little bit because we ain't talked about that. I want to talk about the fishing, bro. Listen. Oh yeah, talk about the fishing in Idaho. Yeah, a little so bit. like you know, kind of getting off subject a little bit, but uh, we went. We had a trip out to Idaho this past. Oh, cool. That would have been almost like a month ago by the time this comes out. Yeah. But uh, early August, uh, we had a trip out to Idaho, and after the trip was kind of complete, you had you had to leave early. You had to leave like on a Wednesday. I stayed through that Saturday. And Friday went out uh, fishing uh, with uh, Casey Hawks from First Light, and we went fly fishing because I was like, dude, I really want to go catch a trout. <laughs> and he's like, dude, I got the spot for you. I'm like, for real? And he was, you know, fishing for wild fish. Because uh, that's another thing. Around here in Alabama, you know, if you're going to go quote unquote trout fishing, you are fishing. You are, yeah, you're not fishing for wild fish. Well, yeah, we, we, yeah. You know, stock trout below on the Sipsy Fork below uh, uh, Smith Lake. Smith Lake Dam. You know, it, I'm not saying it's high, like high fence fishing, but per, <laughs> you know, episode I did with uh, Dr. Uh, Steve Sammons of Auburn University for the Southern Waters podcast of how many of those trout, those things, or how many trout get smashed by giant striped bass. Uh, oh. The first night they get put out is pretty amazing. <laughs> Maybe we should go fishing stripers there. <laughs> That's what we, yeah, we talked about. It. Like throwing like a 14 inch freaking swim bait for dude. stripers, dude. Wow, freaking yeah, for real. Catching uh, like you, just, you see the photo I posted? Not oh yeah. So, so that, that one, that was one from below there. They, the really? night they released the trout, that's when they went shocking for tri- for the striper. And he said like the stripers had like keyed in like after like doing it for decades. You know they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, the stripers know. Like for whatever reason, when they oh, release yeah. them, like they know and they move up the river to like come feed. Oh my and gosh! That's they were in one area with a fourteen foot boat, and they had like, I forgot how many fish in the boat, but it was over two hundred pounds of striper <laughs> in the boat. He's like, we can't bring because it's a little John boat they were in. Yeah, and like they <laughs> they're gonna sink themselves. They caught a they they landed a couple you know lecher fishing that were over fifty pounds. That was one of them in that image wow. I posted, and they're like. Like forty nine to fifty two inches long, they're like giant because yeah, they're eating freaking rainbow trout, man. They did a diet study on them, stuck a pipe down their mouth into like gut, flushed them and flushed them, and like it doesn't kill the fish, but it yeah. allows to see what they've eaten. And like they had some of those big stripers that had between eight and nine of those trout inside of it. How, how big are the trout on the small side? Nine inches all up to sixteen. Oh my inches. gosh. <laughs> Man, you know that striper was pissed when they did that. They're like, "Man, I've been working my butt off eating all these freaking trout." Well, so the world record. Not, and now we're getting real sidetracked from this, from this trout story. Uh, but th- that world, the world record uh, striper that was caught on um, it pretty much it was Bankhead Lake, but it's on the Black Warrior River. That's just downriver from you know the Sipsy Fork right there. Oh. Like all they got to do is go up river and feed. And uh, Dr. Samens actually did genetic study on that actual that fish to figure out how old it was and all that kind of stuff. Uh, after it was caught, it was 69 pounds, almost 70 pounds. That's okay? a giant a freaking fish, man. And, and uh, he, they were talking about, he's like, dude, he's like, guaranteed that thing had been gorging itself for probably a decade on oh my Rainbow Trail. Gosh. Like, wow. So that's, well, yeah, that's why it's so big. So that brings us to Idaho. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, if we're going to do a striper trip, that's where we're going to go do a striper trip. Oh, for real. And everyone else who listens to these after us. Oh, well, you know, we got, I found out you got to have some special equipment to get a boat up in there. So. Oh, really? And we, okay. know some, we know someone with a jet boat. Okay. All right. So, all right. All right. <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah. That's now what, yeah. you're talking. But uh, anyway, um, but, you know, so the Idaho trip, dude, so I borrowed Casey's. We had to go, like, rent, uh, or even catch him in Idaho. Had to go rent some, uh, you know, wading boots the whole nine yards, get our license and stuff. Drove like an hour and twenty minutes to the spot we're gonna go fish, dude. We get out there and it is literally like I got photos of this place and videos. It is like 
mountain in like desert. Okay, like it uh-huh. is like this like say like short sagebrush, not even tall sagebrush, like short sagebrush. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you pull up and you can see the tops of these uh like cottonwoods mm. that I mean barely come up over the sagebrush because it's like a cut bank. All those rivers out there are like cut bank where it's like uh-huh. 35, 40 feet down. Yeah, and uh, you come up to it and like you you're like literally standing like at and above the canopy level, looking down at this river. You gotta like climb down there. Yeah, like it's, it was. It wasn't too bad. There was a couple of spots you get down pretty easy, but I mean, if you fell, you were jacked. <laughs> you up. were going, <laughs> bro. You're, you're gonna be seeing an orthopedic surgeon. Okay, <laughs> ticket to the bottom. Yeah, ticket. Yeah, for sure. Um, but did we get down there, man? Thunderstorms rolling in, and uh, we, anyways, we were <laughs> using a dry fly with a a nymph attached to the to the hook. They call it a uh, hopper pop. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I, know. I don't we're, have a clue. I'm not, not even going to try to we're guess. One of the guys that talk about. But anyways, you, you just did you, uh, throw a little Flyagra on those dry flies. Uh, he had his own stuff, but yeah, really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, dude, the water was so cold. <laughs> we're because we're wet waiting, and yeah. uh, and anyways, long story short, we kind of start working down the creek or working down the river, and I'm like, dude. Like I can't like I don't I don't even know where like like where's a trout gonna be and like Casey was trying to teach me like as like we got down to the river he's like all right you need to look for these little bit deeper holes pockets like have your you know have your have your glasses on because you can see like the color change mm. when it goes from like eighteen inches of water down to like three feet of water uh-huh. and he's like you want to let that fly like drift down into that spot okay, okay? and like had a like mend min- your line and everything just you know really kind of pay attention like what's going on uh and finally we get down we go down like uh probably a quarter mile we've been fishing for like. 45 minutes. I'm like, dude, I haven't got a bite. I'm like, is there any fish here? I haven't even seen one. <laughs> and dude, I, th- I toss it. I freaking, we're just below, like, it looks almost like some shoals. Like, you just get below, like, some shoals on the yeah. river. And uh, there was a deep cut. Uh, there was a, the, the other side of the bank was kind of cut. And, like, you could walk down this whole river, majority of it, like, less than, like, your waist deep. Um, but there's this little deep spot right next to the bank uh, where you can see all this water was funneling through. And I freaking toss my fly over there with the fly rod. And dude, the second it hit the water, it drift, like, five feet and just got smashed the dry fly. <laughs> oh, I mean, literally, because I, I had thought of like, okay, everybody I've heard about trout, especially like on the east, like, you know, on, well, just everything I've heard about trout in general, like talking to anglers, like, oh, they're, you know, they're subtle, they're, they're uh, uh, like subtle biters, they're not like overly aggressive, they're real skittish. Dude, these things hit like Alabama bass. That's because like, that's because you're in the spot. Like you're in the secret spot, bros. I'm talking smashed the freaking fly. Like it was, dude. It was dude, hardcore I, top water. I'm not gonna lie, and I missed it. Okay, <laughs> it, dude. When it hit, I was like, yeah, build us up like that. Oh, dude, listen. I I set the hook. I freaking missed it. He was on for a split second. He got off, but uh, the long distance release. When, when I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Tiffany would say, um, dude. When I say like, adrenaline. well, no, like you would say, because you were telling me about some trout on this trip. You're like, yeah, the biggest one I caught was this big, and I was like, you were explaining it, and at some no. point in the story, I realized that you never actually caught the fish, but you lost him when he was a couple feet away, and you're like, yeah, I caught him. Yeah, we leadered him. We touched the leader. <laughs> now, bull. Oh my god. Okay, keep going. <laughs> well, we're using we're using marlin tactics. Oh, if, yeah, you, if you touch the leader, you caught it. Oh, yeah, he's seven feet away, <laughs> but I caught him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, dude. I literally, like, the adrenaline spike of, like, oh, my God, there's freaking trout here. And actually, uh, like, and then, and then, you, yeah, and you used your catchphrase. I used my catchphrase, like, dude, forget deer hunting. Like, oh, bro, my go gosh. <laughs> that was blasphemy on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I got really freaking hyped. And it pretty much, it just, I kept going back and forth. And I missed, dude, I missed, like, six in a row, okay? <laughs> Terrible, okay? Like, literally, come up, like, a couple of them would hit the, uh, the dry fly. 
and then like also someone hit the nip, and you, that dry fly is almost like a almost like a bobber, like an indicator. They call it an indicator. It's a bobber. It's a bobber. It's a bobber. Come on, fly fishing guys. It's a bobber. But like they're using that dry fly as a, a indicator. We use their term. <laughs> and um, <laughs> when they hit the nip, it just sucks straight down. Like, like yeah, because they're hitting the nip, which is like 16, 18 inches below it. Uh huh. Um, and anyways, I missed I missed a couple. I was like, dang it! And finally, yeah, I finally caught my first, and it was it was a little uh, cutthroat trout, like little. I say little, it's like seven and a half inches. Yeah. Um, it's like and, a little red eye. Yeah, absolutely. And you do you know get it in, take some photos. Of it. I'm like, this is freaking awesome. And dude, I'm I'm telling you, I was hyped. I'm like, because the water was so clear. Anyways, and I caught a couple more. Like I caught like three or four out of this one hole, like right where all this real fast flowing water kind of like. It was still pushing through, but it was a much deeper hole kind of in the bend of this river. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I finally move around. And they, you can see them. They're coming up. There's, there's, dude, there's insects everywhere. Okay, huh. like the, ha- like I don't know. There's like you can see, like you flip a rock over, and there's larvae of like all these different flies. Uh-huh. They're just like, sw- like going down the river, rush down the river. And you would see, like in that pool right there, all these trout would come up and like hit the top of the water, and they're like picking stuff off the top of the water. Like you could see them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh shoot, dude! <laughs> I literally sat there and got up above it and it was like casting. I caught probably, I think it's like seven out of that one hole, and I, that one of them. When I say caught, it actually landed. But yeah. I, I hooked that bigger one, which was probably like 16 to 18 inch rainbow trout, and I mean. Had it on for two minutes, and I'm like, "How do I land it?" Because I didn't have a net with me, uh-huh. and it was like also kind of deeper water. I'm trying to get close to the edge to grab it and everything. And long story short, one of the other guys, uh, Ayers, tried to help me, you know, get it. And when we tried to do it, it came off the came off the hook. And, Man, yeah, it sucked. But dude, you could literally sit there above this deep pool, and I say deep pool, like it's over your head. It's probably yeah, you know, six and a half feet of water right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. When the sun came out, you could look straight down through it, and you could see the trout stacked down there. Like, really? a, like there'd be like four, th- three or four here, like right behind this rock, and then you see some like shooting around, and like they're all like kind of staged oh, up in different cool. areas. And they get these, a different trout, like what yeah, kinds uh, of trout? Rainbow cutthroat, and there was another one he talked about, and I can't remember what it was called, but I caught both. I cut, I caught a cut, caught a couple cutthroat, and then some rainbow trout. But he's like, these are all wild. Like they don't stock any of this. Like these fish actually like breed here, um, and, and you know nest at different parts. But it's really interesting because you can sit there and like the one I hooked, like the big one. There was like a couple other more in that pool that was like the same sauce. I was like, dang it, dude. But uh, it, it was it was an awesome time. But long story short, we worked like two miles down this river, like kind of going down with the river itself and kind of fishing in different pockets. Mm-hmm. And uh, I caught a total of, I think I, I landed 12. I lost like 25. As When I say lost, like hooked into them and they like popped off. Yeah. Like that happened constantly, especially if they got the nip because the nip's so small, it doesn't have barbs on the hook. And I, I was always wondering like, why do you not – have barbs because the dry fly has a barb on it yeah but it's a bigger hook that nip which is real small I'm like oh, i get it so if they swallow it like if it gets down real far if you like it'll work loose really easy to be able to come out so they don't like mm. kill themselves by yeah. eating it yeah um trout are really fragile aren't they yeah they, they're weird when you put when you hold them in your hand you're like it, it's a weird feeling oh, it's, yeah. almost, it's almost like feeling it's almost like a um i've caught some in georgia before oh have you mm-hmm. i was yeah i know exactly what you're talking about like the, they don't feel like like bass i feel like, something I feel, like they, they feel way different well, you're supposed to like wet your hands. Yeah, I didn't do it for the first couple. Yeah, like, you, you just went and killed all those fish in that stream. <laughs> I was like, dude. Boy, and you can't squeeze them too hard and stuff, which is probably the same with bass. Too. Yeah, probably. Well, that's where, you know, like I've heard a lot of people arguing about catch and release, uh, especially when it comes to trout because they're so fragile. And uh, and maybe I'm speaking out of terms. Someone might write in and be like, no, it's wrong. Uh, but I, I feel like a, a lot of them die. I've read some statistic where like a lot of fish that get released end up dying. I'm like, well, so don't get mad at me for eating the dang thing. Well, let me just tell you this. 
after like fishing that river, it was so freaking cool. Oh, we saw a couple mule deer down there and a mule deer buck in velvet that oh, was down there. Nice. Uh, like right when we dropped into the basin, like for the river, I looked. I was gonna look. ask when you described that how you got these cut banks and you got to drop down in the bottom. Oh, there were sta- there were stands everywhere down there. It's oh, really? All, like yeah, tree all, stands? Yeah, it's all BLM. Like old? No, no, not like. Well, there was uh, one actual tree stand. There was like wooden stands. I was about to ask, like, what kind of stands are we talking here? No, like, yeah, there's like some wooden stands, but also there was one tree stand. But they have them like on different stretches of the river. And uh, I was talking to Casey. I was like, "Is there whitetails up here?" He's like, "No, we're pretty like whitetails are more north than mm. where we were in the state." Yeah. So he's like, "Up if, there where Troy hunts." Yeah. So he's like, "If they're this far down, like everybody wants to kill them because mm-hmm. they just don't like them." Mm. Yeah. But I can uh, see that. but anyway, so uh, dude, it, it was cool. I mean, it got me kind of, it got me a little, got me a little jazzed up. I'm like, you know, it came out here and did a you know week long trip fishing like this. It'd be a good freaking time. Yeah. So well, it'd be logistically easier. You could fly out for that, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Carry your rod and everything with you. But anyways, but yeah. So that was a little wrap up. But yeah, all I'm gonna say is like how hard those fish hit, bro. Again, I I, I just had heard that. Oh, yeah, they're kind of subtle and they're finicky. I mean, they are like you definitely like you have to mend your line. You can't you can't have your it's a fine line. You can't have like your your fly line float down past a fly like in faster current water. So you have to have it mended up. Like you got. Flip that flip line, yeah. Flip that line upstream, uh-huh. so the fly is the first thing to go down. Mm-hmm. And like you quickly learn how to do it because I didn't know how to do it. And then like after forty five minutes, I'm like, okay, I can do this, pretty, yeah, pretty decently, yeah. Um, but I mean, dude, when they hit, especially when they hit the dry fly, they 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 smoked smashed it, smashed it. That's I mean, funny. literally, it was like a bass. I mean, it just that's what it reminded me of. Like just came up freaking top water action, dude. So yeah, good times, but. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm jealous you got to go fishing uh, next year. Next year I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go catch me some trout. Um, uh, getting to the point of kind of wrapping this up. Got some reviews. Got definitely got some reviews. Uh, by the way, on our last outro that we did, our last like true outro that we did, uh, we brought up rabbit hunting. Oh, dude, bro, th- we got th- blown. Up. Yeah, it seems like a lot All of All y'all people texting us about rabbit hunting, yeah, man. Yeah, you're like messaging us, DMing us, sending us emails like, man, I'll do a rabbit hunt. That sounds like a good time. Mm-hmm. So now we got to figure out logistically what that would look like. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll start off. This is a Fishkill 412 rabbit hunt, five stars. Guys, I've been listening to y'all on and off for a year now and enjoy the many different guests y'all have. But the friendship and humor you share is what makes you unique. Appreciate that. Uh, the episode y'all did last year about the bloodthirsty beagles and rabbit hunt with Mr. Benny brought back so many memories of my childhood. My granddaddy always had a pack of beagles, and my dad and I always hunted with him before deer hunting season. B- before deer hunting became a passion. Uh, then yesterday's episode about small game again brought back great memories of squirrel hunting almost every afternoon in the fall after school. I would re- also remember my dad telling me how we hunted all over northeast Birmingham, Roebuck and Huffman. Um, just realized listening to your episode that I need to take the 22 out this fall and get me some squirrel and dumplings. <laughs> Thanks uh, for the variety of content. Keep them coming. Oh, and yes, I would love to go on a rabbit hunt with y'all in February and bring my two grandsons, Andy Gill. That's an excellent review right there, my man. I appreciate that. And hey, if you're listening to this and uh, and you haven't you haven't considered going squirrel hunting yet, what are you doing? Go squirrel hunting, man. It's fun. Build your woodsmanship skills. Get out there and get it done. I'm going to drag Jacob out by his freaking ear this year. As long as you give me a 22, all right. I'll, I'll loan you my 22. All right. This next review is from the classic, the legend himself, Big Buck Nuts. <laughs> Feuding with other popular uh, reviewers. Yeah, a.k.a. Such as Thicket Cricket yeah. and Little, Little Buck, Buck Nuts. Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> title oh, title is Chirp Chirp. 
Chirp, 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 chirp. Five stars. <laughs> there he is, old Jiminy Cricket. Ain't never heard of no cricket killing anything, much less deer. Yeah, you might annoy the crap out of someone for a night or two, just chirping away, not letting any, <laughs> not letting them get any sleep at all. Watch out for them frogs, little cricket boy. <laughs> I'll do my best not to step on you while I'm scent checking my dose. It's going to be a long season for you. So I have something to admit about these reviewers, like Thicket Cricket and all the rest of them. The legends. Uh, you know, that. so they're, ta- they're taking on like a character, it's, right? Dude, it's like a, t- it's, it's like a little, like Paul Feinbaum and, you know. Well, it's like, yeah, oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, oh freaking Iceman so, or whatever. What? Oh, let me, okay, <laughs> let, me put, let me put this in. Yeah, let me put this out real well, quick. Well, so I was trying to figure out if they're, I'm like, at first I'm like, okay, are you a hunter or are you a deer? Like, are, is your character a deer? Because sometimes they talk like they're a buck, like, you know, trying to get away from us. And then other times they're like, I'm going to kill your buck. So just trying to figure out the character development here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, right, Paul Feinbaum. Yeah, dude, we need. So, listeners, let me ask because we we may have the capabilities of doing this now, especially maybe for like a Patreon episode or something. What Get would, Paul, Paul what, Feinbaum on? No, <laughs> no. But let's take Paul Feinbaum on a rabbit hunt. I bet we could make that happen. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but okay, wait a say Wait, just you know, you derail know, derail the conversation. Uh, <laughs> do do a call-in show. And get on some of these different callers, mm. you know, some of these different listeners, you know, Thicket Cricket, Big Buck Nuts, Little Buck Nuts, and yeah, dude, it might be a we pretty We could probably do that. We did that one time, kind of, but yeah. we did it through, like, voicemail. Voicemail, yeah, that was a little bit different. But I'm talking about actually get them on. It's like, like a legit call-in show? Yeah, I saw another show. They actually started doing it um, as, like, a bonus episode that they release, and they video it, and it's oh, it's not honey, It's not a hunting show, but it is hilarious, dude. Like, it is absolutely Dude, I think that'd time. be fun. Gosh, that well, would if, be so if, fun. If you think it'd be fun, guys, if y'all would want to take part in it, let us know. Shoot us a message, shoot us an email, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Let us know if you'd want to do something like that where it's a live call-in show that maybe we film a little bit and it's something that kind of goes on YouTube or it's a bonus episode, something like that. Uh, well, again, we can kind of figure out what that would look Dude, like. That'd be a freaking great time. All right, come on, Squirrel Skinner. All right, love the bushy tail talk. This is from Squirrel Skinner. That is an A-plus name right there. Um, I'm a big time squirrel hunter from VA with mountain feist. And I got to say, I was giddy when y'all talked about squirrel hunting for so long on last week's outro. I love killing big bucks as much as the next guy, but if you just want to have pure fun, it's hard to beat chase a bushy tail through the woods with a couple feist and a 22. I've invited y'all already when I wrote in about a guest recommendation. Hopefully y'all will get him on the show, but I'll say it again. Come on up to Southern VA and shoot some squirrels with me. Keep up the good content guys. P.S. Buffalo squirrel eggs are a great way to eat tree rats. Braise the legs in chicken broth for an hour or two, toss them in buffalo sauce, and throw them on a hot grill to sear each side. Even my wife eats them. I like it, dude. That's one thing, you know, with Tiff, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't get any problems out of her eating squirrel. She will, she will tear up some squirrel. Uh, it's, it's the other, it's like deer heart and stuff that that I get issues with, where she's like, I don't want to eat an organ. So, uh, anyways. Um, great review, man. We appreciate that. Uh, you got anything else, Jacob? No, just y'all got to let us know about this whole, uh... I'd love to come to VA and hunt well, squirrels, by well, the way. We're it's talking a time factor at this 2023. point. 2023. Yeah, know. maybe 20... We got, we got some plans. I had another guy reach out about some other states, and, uh, we are planning some things that oh, we... We're gonna... Louisiana, 2023. Oh, Southern well, Outdoors Let the interior. cat out of the bat. Louisiana, maybe Mississippi, we'll yep. see. Uh... Virginia. Maybe do Virginia. Yeah, Virginia's on the dock. North Carolina. <sighs> yeah. South Carolina. Yeah. 
Anybody want to be a cameraman? <laughs> yep. We'll throw that out there, see how many people message us about that. No, but for real, hey, if you want to do that talk show, let us know, because I'm curious. I think that would be a freaking great time. I think that would be so fun. Maybe that could be like the new format of the outros one day. That would be so fun, dude. That would be awesome. Anyways. Yeah, Jacob, Jacob's giving me a look like we just hit a stroke of genius. I've looked into that. It costs money. There's, there's going to be like, we're going to have to figure out the most cost-effective way to do that. about I'm curious how it's going to cost money because we have a setup here. Because if you have, like, you can't just have, in order oh, for that call, to work. you need call waiting and stuff like that. Yeah, you need, like, call waiting and also, like, love y'all, but I don't necessarily want to give my cell phone number out to no, everybody. No, we're not. We got a Google number. Well, yeah, we got the Google number, but we got to have, like, phone lines or whatever. Yeah. Where we can, like, we'll, we'll jump. Fi- we'll figure it out. But if there's interest, it's, what are we going to do if there's Dude, interest? Dude, I guarantee there's somebody out there who knows how to do that. If you're listening to this and that kind of fires you up and you'd like to hear that, please Please explain to us how, how we make that happen, because I really don't know. Yep, cool. And we'll just get hooked up with a local radio station. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, perfect. Well, uh, appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Make sure, hey, listen, if you've enjoyed some of this content, guys, go subscribe to the podcast if you're an Apple listener on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our channel on there. It's just $1.99 a month. You get ad-free content and bonus episodes that are coming out. Uh, every month so check that out everybody and also if you want to support us any other way you can do that you can be an apple subscriber plus a patreon uh member as well for us those uh patreon members have been absolutely fantastic y'all have been great by the way we just got our very first uh patreon member that signed up for our tier where we're actually going to be collaborator doing, yeah doing a collaborative tier where we're actually going to be doing uh, full property breakdowns. Uh, this is for John Oliver. So John, greatly appreciate your support, uh, sir, on the podcast. Um, he's our first again collaborative uh, tier member, which we're only taking on five of those. So there's four spots left, but we're actually going to be doing some interesting stuff on uh, property breakdowns with you, doing some video content for you as well, exclusively for those members, uh, for the individual members uh, to kind of help you have a awesome fall. So John, thank you so much, sir. Uh, for joining our Patreon and the Collaborative tier. And guys, if you want to support the show and also maybe want us to work with you on maybe breaking down your club, public land, whatever it looks like, uh, go check out that tier on Patreon. Uh, Love to see uh, a couple other guys on there that we can kind of work with and get some stuff rocking and rolling for this fall. So thanks again, guys, and we'll catch you back here on next week's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. And listen, you're not going to want to miss Monday's episode for part two with Shane and Paul. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we have went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that, that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th 
through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.